Evening guys, welcome to another Wednesday Midweek Study. Today we're going to be in John 7, nearly forgot where I was for some reason, and um, today we're going to be um, picking up from where we left off before we had Christmas. So before we get in, I'll just pray. Father, I praise you and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. I thank you that you continue to speak to us through your word, um, even so many years on from it being written, and that's because it is living and active. And I thank you for your spirit, who uh, speaks to us of your word, who reminds us of things, who uh, draws things out, who teaches us things through it, uh, who brings understanding. And I ask for that tonight, as we go through your word, that you'd help us to understand what you're saying. You'd help us to um, to apply what uh, you're going to be teaching us. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would give me the words to say, that you'd hold me back from saying things you uh, may not want me to say. And Father, I pray that you speak to us each individually, including myself, uh, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Cool. So, um, first off, hope you all had a good Christmas and um, are enjoying the new year so far. Um, we're going to be in um, John chapter 7, like I said before, and we left off before Christmas uh, at verse 39. So I'll do a really quick recap of what's gone on beforehand because I know like we've missed a week of Wednesday. So um, it'll be nice just to kind of get an idea of what's going on, of where we're jumping into, and then we can kind of carry on with what Jesus is saying. So Jesus has gone to the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Shelters, and he's there knowing that there, there's a plot out to kill him, but he still goes. And he actually doesn't just try and, you know, lay low while he's there. He actually stands up and he's declaring the gospel and he's declaring who he is to these people. And so he gets into a discourse with the Jewish leaders and obviously, obviously they're upset. They're always upset anyway, but they're even more upset now. And so now they're attempting an arrest on him. So what we saw last week is they sent men to go and arrest Jesus. And Jesus um, then talks about him being the source of living water. And um, so he's parallel hims he parallels himself with the rock in the wilderness where Moses struck the rock and living water flowed out. He's parallel paralleling himself with that, saying, hey, that is the picture of me because I am the source of living water. And uh, basically declaring that he is the Messiah, that he is God. He is the one who they can run to and receive eternal life. And... Um, so we're going to really be picking up from there, and we're in verse 40. So um, I'll read the first, I'll read 40 to 44, and then we'll kind of uh, go from there. So it says, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. So they, when the crowd heard him say this, say what? Well, saying the fact that he's the fulfillment of the rock, saying the fact that he is the Messiah, in no uncertain terms, stating that he is the source of life, the promised Messiah. And so after saying this, some people are saying, oh yeah, Jesus, he, this must be the prophet. And that's all they're giving him credit for, just as a prophet. As if 
He's no one else special other than just a prophet, just a spokesperson for God, not the Messiah, not God in the flesh. And if Jesus was only a spokesperson, then he wouldn't have the power to save. So they're not attributing that to him. It would mean that he didn't have the power to give life living water and um, to be the source that he's declaring himself to be. So clearly they're wrong, even just in that previous statement that Jesus is saying. They can't really say, oh, this must be the Messiah. Um, sorry, they're saying this must be a prophet. No, no, because he's just said that. He must be far more than a prophet because a prophet is not going to state that he is the source. A prophet is going to state and he's going to point to God. And it reminds us of how we like to really kind of only accept parts of who Jesus is because it's more comfortable or it's more convenient aspect of him. For instance, one thing that we like to do and it's very subconsciously. We don't think about it, but we just do it a lot of the time. We like to think, yeah, God is all powerful so I can talk to him and I'll ask him for things. And so we like to approach God as a grantor of requests, which yes, as a father he is, but then everything else drowns out and we just go to him only when we need requests. And how easy is it for us to turn to God when something's going wrong? really easy because we just turn to him and we just say hey this is going on I need you to fix it and everything else but then when everything's going well how often do we turn to him because he's the one who's still giving us all the blessings he's the one who's still presiding over our lives but we just don't think about him as much because we're enjoying life we don't quote-unquote need his help as we like to think because we're busy with the job that he's blessed us with, or we're busy with the kids that he's blessed us with, or we're busy just with life of how he's doing different things in our lives, and we don't really think to, one, thank him and to give him credit, to still spend time before him as we would when we're in need. And in doing so, when only turning to him when things are rough, then we kind of have this idea that he's like a genie who grants requests, rather than that he's there for us as a father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. And you think how um, there's often throughout life, you know, we'll experience different personalities or different people we come across. And most of us will have usually come across this sort of personality of person once, uh, where you kind of know this person and they only really contact you when they need something. They don't really, you know, they're not really too interested in investing in the relationship. They don't really often ask you how you are unless it's in the course of them asking you for something. And so then when when they when they get back to you at some point, it's like, hey, it's like, oh, okay, they're about to ask me for something. Because you know every time it's just this, okay, they just want something from me. They don't actually want a relationship. They don't want a friendship unless it's beneficial to them alone. But and you think how draining that can be, how irritating it can sometimes be, that someone might be like that and they don't really care to be your friend, they just want things from you. But then we do the same thing with God a lot of the time, but we'll only really turn to him when it's, Lord, I need this, or I've got this problem. And great, let's turn to him in those things, but let's turn to him in everything else as well, because he doesn't just desire to give us good gifts, but he desires that relationship with us because he loves us. He doesn't just want us turning to him when times are rough. He wants us turning to him and having that relationship with him, even when the times are really good, 
because he's still there for us. He's still walking through us with the good times as much as he is in the bad times. And in him having a relationship with us, it means accepting him for all of his facets, not just being all powerful, but being all loving and all knowing, which means he's gonna lead us as a father, knowing what's best for us, not allowing us to have certain things that we may be asking for, walking with us through the rough times, and allowing us to grow in those rough times because he's walking with us, helping us to grow in those times. Because he wants a, he wants a relationship with a relationship with us at all times, regardless of whatever situations we're going through. And we're far more blessed when we actually invest in that relationship than when we only call on him when we need something. And you see here, some people accept him as the Messiah, which is great, which is fantastic. But you see how there are polarized views here. Nobody's indifferent to Jesus. Some people are saying, yes, he's this. Other people are saying, yes, he's this. Nobody really doesn't care about Jesus. It's not like he's this quiet person in the corner who, yeah, I don't really have an opinion on him or anything else. Everyone seems to have an opinion on Jesus. You mention Jesus even now, 2000 years later, and you will still get a reaction. And often it will be a visceral re reaction. Some people will really like the fact that you're talking about Jesus, and some people really don't like the fact that you're talking about Jesus. It irks them. Because he's offensive to those who choose to accept him, and beloved by those who choose to believe in him. When we accept him as a moral teacher alone, then we're not really accepting Jesus for who he really is. And likewise with these people who are accepting him as a prophet alone, because he's either the Messiah or he's not. And while some accept him as a teacher or a prophet, if they don't accept him as the Messiah, then it means nothing. A lot of the time, even in modern day, we will sit and there will be people who will say, yeah, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Well, I think he's a lot more than that. And when we look at who he is, you can't simply uh, reap the benefits of who he is. He means nothing to you if he is not Messiah. We have to accept him as the miracle maker, virgin board, God and man in one person. We have to accept him for who he is. And only when we accept him as our savior, does it do anything for us? Does it mean anything to us? Because only in accepting him does it save us. And at the end of verse 41, it says, still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal town of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. Some are choosing to accept Jesus for something he's not. Some are choosing to reject Jesus for something he's not as well. So you've got some people saying, yeah, I like Jesus. He's a great prophet. Well, he's, he's more than that. So you're not really accepting him for who he is. And then some people are rejecting him also for something that he's not saying, oh, well, you know, I, I don't like him because he's this. And it's like, but he's not. And this is why the truth is so important. It faces you with the, with the reality of who Jesus is. So you're, so you're not mistaken when you're making a decision. Some people will reject out of believing the wrong things about Jesus. And these people don't accept him as the Messiah because they're confused. They confuse Jesus coming from Galilee with him being born in Bethlehem. And they don't really care to know the facts. They just say, 
no, he can't be because because of this. And they're not really looking into it. They don't really want to know the answers. They're just happy to have an excuse to reject. They thought they knew, but they really didn't. And they didn't really care to know otherwise because it was just a good excuse for them to reject him. And they're rejected based on an opinion or having one problem so that they could just simply reject the truth. Because they had false assumptions and then weak arguments. And it's easier not to believe because that requires sacrificing. It requires that self-sacrifice. I think when I share the gospel, some people will bring up any excuse not to believe. You can share the gospel with someone and sometimes you'll get some very genuine questions back. But other times you'll get questions such as, well, I don't understand this about the creation account and, you know, they really want to go into some of the semantics and things like that. Or they want to talk about Cain and Abel, or they want to talk about the global flood, or these things that don't really pertain to who Jesus is. They got so many questions, and some of them are valid questions, but they don't really work as an, as an opposition to accepting who Jesus is. These truths can be understood at a later point because they're not those things that actually affect salvation. What affects salvation is who you believe who Jesus is, what he means to you. And the other problem is when people are asking these questions, a lot of the time it's just an excuse to not believe, that it's never enough. You can give answer after answer, but there will always be more questions because these questions aren't founded on a, hey, I want to understand, they're founded on a, I just want to reject, so here's my opposition to it. They won't ever be enough because we aren't convinced into heaven. Believing and being born again is a work of the Spirit. It involves us being convicted of our sin and saying that he is our saviour. It doesn't involve us saying, you know what? I understand everything about the Bible. I think I'm ready to believe. Because, reality check, no one understands everything about the Bible. We are going to have to ask God about certain things when we get to heaven. Like, hey, I never understood this. No one ever understood this. And that's okay. Because it doesn't pertain to who Jesus is. It doesn't stop me from understanding who Jesus is. From what his life and death actually means to me. And if I, I think if I'm on a train track and I'm stuck and someone throws me a rope, am I going to sit there and am I going to ask questions about what type of rope is this? What type of knot? What type of braid is this? No, my main objective is can this rope hold my weight as I get yanked away from this train track as someone tries to save me? That's my main thing. I can ask questions later and it's like that with salvation. When the Lord comes and he presents the gospel to us through someone, is our response going to be, well, I need answers about this and this, or is it going to be, you know what, right now the more important thing is, is, does this hold weight? Yes, it does. Okay, great. And I can allow that to be what saves me. Because all these questions about Genesis and all the other questions, those things don't save me. What saves me is Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. When we share, we can be mindful that there will be those with genuine questions, but there will also be those with just excuses. And likewise, we ourselves as Christians can find excuses for our submission to Jesus in our own lives. It's not just at the gate to say, oh yeah, I don't know about accepting Jesus, but even once we've accepted him, then we can still try and find excuses and we have to stop ourselves from doing that. 
sometimes through our own assumptions that aren't true, through truths we tend to take out of context, sometimes it's through lies that the enemy feeds us, or through just simply our own flesh. I remember when I was younger, um, growing up in Worcester, um, I kind of heard things from other adults like, oh yeah, don't, yeah, don't give anything to the homeless people, there's like this reason and this reason, like all these excuses not to help homeless people. And I remember this one time, like growing up hearing that, and uh, my parents weren't like, oh no, don't help. They had their own ways of like, hey, if you see, you know, you can help them in this way and this way. But um, I had excuses that I could use. And I remember this one time, um, it's Worcester, I go to Greg's, I get a pasty and a drink, and I'm unwrapping this warm pasty, I'm ready to devour this, I'm hungry, and then all of a sudden I'm passing this homeless guy and I feel Lord promptly like, give it to her. I'm like, Lord, but this is so good. Lord, yeah, I could just have this. And it's, but it's like, I could have, I had the excuses, I could say, oh, but Lord, you know, why? Remember all the excuses that other people had, you know, why not to give? Or I could say, but Lord, you know, I'm hungry and, you know, if I feed myself, I can have any excuse. Or I can say, you know what? It's okay. If the Lord's asking me to do something, then I need to be careful not to just pick excuses not to do it. I need to say, okay, Lord, if you're asking me to do this, then that's okay. And the Lord blessed that opportunity that um, I was able to give this pasty to this guy. And I was actually able to share the gospel with him. Like he wanted to engage in a conversation. And um, we ended up kind of getting to know each other a bit. And so often when I went into town, I would see this guy and uh, it enabled me to actually share the gospel with him, to not just share it once in words, but actually to share it then in action that every time he saw me, that he would see that Christ-like love, or that I would attempt to show that. And we can have any sort of an excuse, but it's, are we going to let that stopping us from, are we going to let that stop us from submitting to Christ, to submitting to what he wants us to do? The Lord blessed the obedience when I could have simply excused myself out of it. And we're called to self-sacrifice as Christians, not to find excuses to live our best life now. We're citizens of heaven before we're citizens of wherever we may physically live. So self-sacrifice and living for eternity take a preference over living for ourselves. Then verse 43 says, So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. The crowd was divided about him. Like I mentioned before, the truth demands a verdict. He's either the Messiah or he isn't. Jesus is very polarizing, and still 2,000 years later, he's very polarizing. He was very clear when he stated who he is. No one could really make a mistake unless they decide to ignore things that he said. He plainly stated that he was God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, able to take away the sins of the world and offer life in him. This truth, when not ignored, is divisive. Because all of a sudden it means either accept this and it requires self-sacrifice or I reject it and I simply live for myself. Jesus stated in Matthew 10 verse 34, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And that is the problem that we sit and we face. We're declaring the gospel 
and there is going to be division because of who we are declaring. We're declaring Jesus, and he's a very divisive topic because it means that the truth is declared, and people either choose to accept that because he is, set, he is offering life in that truth, he is offering love in that truth, or they can choose to reject it because they don't like the consequences of it. The message that Christ is the only way has caused people to be murdered defending that truth. That they will simply say, hey, you guys need to know this because I love you. Because Christ loved us, he gave himself for us, and I want to tell you guys of that. And people will willingly die for that because it is the truth. And it's that truth that we must be willing to stand up for and to declare with boldness. That is what should cause division, the cross, Jesus himself. Not us, not ourselves, but Jesus. Therefore, we shouldn't let there really be division among ourselves, because Christ isn't the cause of that division at that point, it's ourselves. 1 Corinthians 12 talks of us being one body, of being many parts united in him. 1 John 4 even says, uh, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here on this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And church is an easy place for us to have divisions because we're united in the one thing which is Christ. And so there's a ton of other things which we have differences about, different cultures, different upbringings, all sorts of different things that we have come from, different upbringings. These different things are what can cause division, but they're within us. It's not part of Christ, so it should not be causing division. And it's easy for it to cause division, but that is why we must have love. That love is what is going to drive us to say, hey, you know what? This person may have not meant to be offensive, but they were. So I'm not going to respond just in 
revenge or in getting back at them, but I'm going to respond to say, hey, you know what? I think this person needs the benefit of the doubt. And to actually go there in love, to speak to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have friends that we never would normally have. Like I think about church, a lot of people in church are people I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that I would necessarily mix with this person outside of church, but I'm so glad because of church that I've met this person because now they are my friend. Like there are so many different reasons that we can say, hey, there can be cause for division, but there's also the one main uniting reason of why there shouldn't be division. And that's because we are Christ's body. That's because they're a brother or a sister in Christ. And we're called to have that unity, to love with Christ's love. When we do this, it does two things mainly. One, the Lord uses it to work in us, that certain personalities that we're actually called to love, not to ignore, not to think, you know what, this person just drives me out the wall, I'm not going to spend time with them, but to say, you know what, Christ calls me to love them, I'm going to make sure I'm spending time with them. And the Lord uses that to work in us, to grind down the pride and the self-centeredness that lives within us. I, I think, for instance, with loving from Christ's love, that's what we're called to do. Not loving because, hey, I should love this person, or loving out of just finding something of merit in that person, but to say, you know what, God loves that person, so I will love that person. I think, for instance, Dave's brothers. Before I met Dave's brothers, I still loved them because I knew that Dave loved them. And so that means that, hey, well, if you love them, then I'm going to love them too. Why should I not? And in the same way, God loves every single person at our church. And so we want to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to love them with Christ's love, rather than simply needing to find merits, needing to find something I like in that person. And even it then extends outside of the church to say, hey, God loves this person. I'm going to love them, even though they may hate Christians, even though they may hate me. I'm still going to love them because I know that the Lord loves them. And I know that the Lord was willing to give his life for this person. And two, it acts as a witness to others outside of the church. It doesn't just simply work on us. It acts as that witness that we can then share Christ's love and other people are perplexed by how on earth we love them, despite the fact that they're so mean to us, despite the fact that they don't like Christians. It's a puzzling thing to think that we're called to love others more than ourselves, to declare of God's love, and yet we know that we'll be hated because of it. And that's because we're not just simply declaring love, we're declaring the truth in love. And that means that the truth is going to cause division, the truth of the cross. Because the truth of the cross requires that self-sacrifice, something none of us like in our flesh. None of us like self-sacrifice, but we're called to die to ourselves. That's what Jesus is doing here, declaring, despite knowing that there's a plot to murder him, despite knowing there are people headed his way at this very point to arrest him. And he does it because of love, because of a love for the Father and because of a love for those that the Father loves. And it's the same reason that we should be willing to self-sacrifice, because of our love for him. A love for the Lord is that fuel for self-sacrifice. Sharing the gospel, knowing that we're going to be ridiculed, or people will just want to argue with us. Or following what he's asked us to do, despite it being uncomfortable, or needing to lay down our own desires to do so. When we accept Jesus for who he is, we know that he's more than worthy of our lives. 
so it can be our joy to sacrifice for him because we love him. We'll end there and we'll pick up in verse 45 next week, but we'll just pray. Father, I praise you and I thank you for your words. I thank you that uh, you continue to teach us through it. I pray that you'd help us to remember what we've gone through tonight. I pray that you'd help us to remember uh, that you call us to self-sacrifice, that you don't call us to uh, live for ourselves, to live our best life now, but you call us to live with eternity's values in view. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. I pray that you'd help us to always have love on um, on our lips, to always have love in our actions, in all that we do, uh, that we would be motivated by love for you, willing to self-sacrifice, willing to love others. And uh, Father, I just ask these things, uh, that you'd help us to uh, not only remember them, but to apply them to our lives, that you'd help us to walk this out uh, all the days of our life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.